0: after christmas i wonder if you're asking that question yet this evening when is all of this going to be over and when it's over what comes next now of course of course this evening the children here in our midst they're not asking that question are they they're waiting for christmas with every fiber of their being christmas day is everything and hang the rest who cares about what comes next but not the adults, I'm guessing, not many of us. When all of this is over, friends, when the candles are blown out, when the lights come back on, when the decorations are packed away again into the boxes and up into the loft for another year, what comes next? Doesn't what comes next prove that tonight is just a game of let's pretend? Let's pretend that all will be well. Let's pretend that baby Jesus arrives in our world and we all live happily ever after. It's nice for Christmas, right? But it's not reality, is it? What happens next after this? Well, friends, these readings that we've had and Holly's song that she's just sung for us this evening tells us what's next. We've included readings, and Holly has sung to us, to tell us that when baby Jesus was born, blood flowed in Bethlehem streets, all the male children under two years old slaughtered this famous incident known as the massacre of the innocents. Did you catch the lament in those words from the reading, page seven in your booklet, if, if the light allows you to see it? Did you catch the bitterness? You know, it's true, isn't it? Most of, us, most of us are grateful, aren't we, for comfort, a warm bed, a hot meal, a friendly hug. Have you, have you ever tried to comfort someone who cannot be comforted? Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because her children are no more. Have you ever reached out, friends, your open hands to somebody whose wound is so deep so deep there is nothing that you can give them, nothing, absolutely nothing to numb the pain. I want to say to us this evening, friends, it is an amazing thing, perhaps this is brand new for you to discover this, an amazing thing to sit here with the Bible open in front of us and discover it is more real than the coldest reality. An amazing thing to discover that the Bible is not playing games with make-believe and let's pretend the Bible knows that what comes after Christmas is war. It's hard, isn't it, sometimes to believe that God is there in a world of pain. That is a big question. Where is God in a world of pain? But what about when Christmas means the absence of children? Where is God then? We need to ask ourselves, don't we, what about Gaza this evening? What about Israel? These words of Rama and Lamentation and Rachel, all these words could be said again this very evening in parts of the world. What about Syria and Yemen? Friends, here is the question, how can Christmas be beautiful when everything is broken? Now, are we meant to kind of gather here this evening in the warm glow of a nice room with family and friends and mulled wine and mince pies, and just kind of block all of that out of our minds, numb ourselves to it, and then when it all fades again for another year, as, as Christmas will, then we get on with our lives. No, no, the answer is no. Christmas is an annual reminder of the horror of a world at war, why are all the toddlers in Bethlehem butchered? Why are they killed? Friends, the answer is all there in what we had read to us, these two readings from Matthew's gospel. Did you notice that three times Herod is called the king, Herod the king, Herod the man in charge, and Herod the king, the man with all the power, is troubled. He's disturbed, he's anxious, and here's why. Herod the king has learned there is another king Herod the king is the king in Jerusalem, and yet, from what we had read, look how powerless and ineffective he is. The king in Jerusalem meets wise men entering his domain who tell him there is another king. The king opens the doors of his chambers to meet these men from another country who ask him, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Not you, Herod. Where is the true king? You know, you see this sort of thing, don't you? Sometimes before a football manager is sacked, happens all the time, doesn't it? What is, what's their contracts? About two months if they're lucky. Before a football manager is sacked, other people have heard about it first. And even before they're sacked, the media know who the next manager is, lined up to replace him. It's humi- humiliating, isn't it? Can you imagine the insult to Herod's pride? Herod's pride. Herod, where is the true king? Imagine the fear that it sets racing in his heart. There is another king, a true king. Who is this man? And so Herod gets his clerics together. He asks them to dust off the Bible, to blow the cobwebs off it. Is it true, he asks them, are there these prophecies about a king to come? Where is he going to be born? What we see here, friends, in what we've had read for us in in Matthew's gospel. What we see here, friends, is a clash of kingdoms. The kingdom of man, Herod, against the kingdom of God, Jesus. That the one trying to destroy the other and to rule over the other. And Herod in the Bible just represents, doesn't he, Every single world leader today ruling and reigning with no time for Jesus in any way, shape, or form. We live in a world at war because each of us wants to be king instead of Jesus. Anyone but Jesus, so long as it's me, Palestine, Yemen, Syria, Myanmar, Nigeria... Now, that's the reality, isn't it? Christmas is not a time to hide from that reality. As it was then in Judea, as a weak and insecure and fearful king begins to send for his assassins to dispatch and eradicate the competition. As it was then, so it is today. Something goes wrong and we dispatch a mediator. Fix the problem, please. We reach for the insurance policy Something happens and friends who used to walk side by side now become enemies face to face against each other. Relationships break down. Your desire to be on the throne is matched by somebody else's desire to be on the throne and you clash. Maybe you've had that already, even today. Maybe it'll be tomorrow. Maybe it won't rear its head until Boxing Day but it will be there somewhere, somehow, won't it, in the future. These same angelic children here with us this evening, in coming days, mums and dads, you know there will be war over toys and wrapping and tiredness. Isn't that the world we live in? Lovers become haters. One nation vies for superiority over another nation. And Herod, Herod shows us we are a world at war, I want you just to pause and think about it in your own life. Think about it in your own life. Isn't it true? I think you'll know it's true. Rebecca McLaughlin writing in this little book, Is Christmas Unbelievable? Rebecca McLaughlin reminds reminds us about the TV series House MD. Some of you I know will have watched this. And in one episode of House MD, she tells the story of the hard-bitten diagnostician Dr. House, he's confronted with a man called Nick. And due to a rare medical condition, Nick has lost all his inhibitions. He simply speaks what he thinks. Whatever enters his head, he blurts it out immediately. And Nick's only hope of a cure is a complex operation right next to his brainstem. The slightest mistake could kill you, House explains to his patient. Even if you survive, you may never be able to breathe on your own again. What does Nick do? Despite the risks, Nick wants the surgery. Why? Because voicing his thoughts is ruining his life. Listen to Rebecca McLaughlin. She says this, if I were Nick, if I were Nick, I would take the surgery too, and I think you would. For within 24 hours of speaking all of my truth, all my relationships would die. Not all my thoughts are bad thoughts, but enough of my thoughts, even about those people I love the most, are bad that speaking them out loud would devastate my life. If you and I were stuck like Nick, we'd be exposed in all our selfishness, our envy, our meanness, and lust. The bad news is that God can see all our thoughts. He sees our words. He sees our deeds as well. He sees our mistreatment of others and our deep down hardened rejection of him. Friends, this evening, Herod shows us where the horror of a world at war out there, Herod shows us where it begins in here. It starts with you, starts with me doesn't it in in here in here in here coming out from the inside and so whatever else you do tonight friends our christmas invitation is this whatever games you play at christmas let's not play let's pretend no the stakes are too high and the world is too dark so let's face reality together In the horror of a world at war, Christmas is the promise of a world at one. In the horror of a world at war, Christmas is the promise of a world at one. I want to show you very briefly this evening one other feature of the story of King Herod and the wise men from the East, and it's this. Those wise men prostrate themselves before Jesus the baby, They lie themselves low before Him as a foretaste. They are a promise of a world at one. These wise men, in coming from another country to this country, to Christ's country, they show us what will one day happen throughout all the earth. See, those wise men in Matthew's gospel are doing what one day all the rulers of the earth will do, what all the rulers will do at the end of time. The book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, in its closing chapters, almost one of the last things that we read in the Bible, it tells us that at the end of time, the kings of the earth will bring their treasures into the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly city. For at the end of time, there will only be one universal king, there will only be one center of world power, one hub to which everybody will commute and come Jesus and his throne. One day a world at war will become a world at one. And how do we know it will happen? As Christmas shows us how it will happen, it shows us that it has already happened here at Christmas time. These men from the East men from other nations. Very likely these wise men were from China. Maybe they were kings. We don't know how many there were. Maybe three of them. Maybe 30 of them. Maybe 300 of them. We don't know the number. But what does Matthew tell us they did? They fell down and worshipped Jesus and offered their gifts to Him. And and you see, in the ancient world, kings traveled for only two reasons. They traveled either to pay tribute or to make war, to, to give homage to a superior or to crush an inferior. And these men are bringing their gifts to Jesus because they realize in meeting Jesus they are meeting a superior. Not many of us, I guess, have ever met a baby that we think we are inferior to. Can you imagine it? I was just in Heathrow, London Heathrow, Terminal 5 on Friday, and I saw a famous actress in Marks & Spencer's Terminal 5. Much to my eldest son's terrible embarrassment, I was awestruck. And my son said to me, go and speak to her, he said. No, no, I can't, I said. She's famous. I'm me. She's superior. I'm inferior. Go and fall down before that baby and worship him, Mr. President. Madam Prime Minister, Professor, Doctor, go to where that baby lies and fall on the dust before him. Can you imagine it? Why is it happening? Why are these men doing it? Well, here's what I want to say to you. These wise men are simply doing what one day we will all do, what the whole world will do. They, They are streaming from the ends of the earth. They are coming from the farthest corners of the globe to a manger where a baby lies, coming to a baby's throne the King of glory. They are worshiping Him, bringing Him their gifts, bringing Him their best gifts because here's why, friends, because they realize that Jesus Himself is the greatest gift to us. These men are giving to Him the best that they have because they know that somehow this baby is God giving to us the best that He has. That's the words that Andrew's just read to us, John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 16, page 11 in your order of service. I wonder if you recognize those words at, at sporting events all over the world. You sometimes see a fan just holding up a sign that says, John 3.16, or, or a famous footballer will rip off his shirt when he scores a goal. John 3.16, It's because those words express the heart of the whole Bible. Those words in John chapter 3 verse 16 express the essence of the Christian faith. They express the heart of Christmas in just a few words. If you've been brought along here this evening by a Christian friend, that is what they believe in a nutshell. If you've ever wanted a kind of summary of the whole of the Christian faith that you could put in a single tweet, e- even before Twitter increased its character limit. These words in John 3 fit inside it, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Friends, this evening, this is why God holds out to us a promise of a world at one, because God loved the world enough to gift us His Son. And here's the thing, that is a very great surprise, that God should love the world enough to give the best that He has is a very great shock. For just think with me for a moment, think with me about how we love, and think about how God loves Is it not true that you and I this evening, we love the lovely? Isn't it true? We love the lovable. I've never yet met any young man who on a beach under an amber sunset, I've never met a young man who ever turned to a young lady beside him and said, sweetheart, your nose is enormous. I love the gaps in your teeth. I can warm my hands on the radioactive glow of your hair. Your eyes are deep-set and very, very, very close together. Your, your breath is appalling. Your skin is so greasy. Oh, oh, how I love you. No, we love the lovely. We love those who we find attractive. We love those who love us back. We love those who shelter us and who respect us and who treat us with dignity and lift us up. That is how we love. But you see what John says in that reading? God loved the world. The world. Think about the world. What is the world like? Those next few lines open in front of you on page 11. Did you catch the next words? This is the verdict. Light has come into the world but people in the world love darkness instead of light. They love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Parents, this evening, you write a birthday card to your growing child, 16-year-old, 17-year-old, 18-year-old, finding their way in the world. You do not write in their birthday card, I love you because you love the darkness. No, I love you because you're whatever it is. But look how God loves. He loves a dark world. God loves a world that loves the dark. That's our world, isn't it? We have to be honest, don't we? Many people come to dislike Christmas because they cannot—they simply cannot stand the pretense of it, tinsel and glitter and peace on earth and goodwill to men. It's not real, they say. But Friends, here is what is real. God loves the kind of people we don't love. God loves the kind of mess I find myself wanting to wash my hands of. God loves the kind of people that we want to turn our backs on and retreat from. I wonder if you know this evening, God does not do cancel culture. It's astonishing. Notice, John does not say God loves nice people or good people or middle-class people. He loves the world, and the world loves darkness. Oh, it is amazing. It means God loves me. God loves you. I wonder if you've ever seen some of those funny emails or letters that children write to Santa or letters that children write to God. Have you ever seen them? Dear God, Do you think if Cain and Abel had their own bedrooms, they wouldn't have killed each other so often? It worked for my brother, Larry. Dear God, you must be extraordinary to love the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I cannot get on with any of them. Just ask yourself, is there any darkness in your home? Is there any any darkness in you? any darkness in me. Ask your spouse if you have one. Ask your boyfriend, your girlfriend. They've they've seen it, haven't they? Up close. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, he once sent a telegram to 12 of the great and the good people of society in the 19th century. A practical joke, this telegram, he sent them and said, the telegram simply said, all is discovered, flee at once. And by morning, all 12 had left the country. You see, strip it all back, cut away, cut your way through the trappings and the traditions, and at the heart of Christmas, you find something that is offensive and more than a little shocking. God loves men and women that love themselves more than they love Him. God loves them. God loves a world gone wrong. He loves a world that chooses darkness over light. That's why we have these little books to give away this evening. These books, you'll find them on the table at the back downstairs as you're having refreshments. I want to encourage you to take one of these books away. It's called The Gift. And I want you to, to take it away because I, I have a simple prayer. I want you to know this evening how loved you are. I want you to know how much God loves you. You know, the historians in the United States, they tell us that they found diary entries written on the same day, diary entries written on the same, di- same day by the American president, John Adams, and by his son. So, father and son describe the same incident on a given day. John Adams Sr., the president, he wrote, Fishing, day wasted. But John Adams Jr. wrote in his diary, Fishing with father, best day ever. Some of you remember the classic 90s film, the record-breaking film, Love Actually. Do you remember how it begins? It's got a voiceover from Hugh Grant's character reminding us that on 9-11, when those planes were into the towers, and when they were heading to the towers and the passengers realized what was happening on some of the planes, passengers frantically called their loved ones in their last moments. Hugh Grant's character says in the voiceover, not one person left a message of hate on a voicemail. They were all messages of love. Strip everything right back. Get to the heart of life in this world. Get to the heart of your life and my life. Get to the heart of Christmas. What you find is love. What we find, friends, at Christmas is when all was lost God sent us a message and to a world at war he sent his son i love you he said here is my greatest gift worship him and worship him worship him now today for one day all the nations of the earth will stream to his throne worship him now for one day everyone will come. So may it be this Christmas for you and for your loved ones.